Well, many of us have a similar reaction when we hear something that sounds incredible or something that shocks us or a really big piece of news that, that it's, it's difficult for us to believe. We hear things like, oh, did you hear what this person did? Did you hear about this tragedy, this decision that was made, this law that was passed, what, what someone had said? We, many of us have a similar reaction when we hear those sentences. Our, our hand starts to go towards our pocket or to our bag to pull out our phone. And when we have our phone, we start to look it up. Did this really happen? We need to know that this is so incredible that we need to have certainty about what it is that we are told. And our desire to know this increases the, the bigger the deal is that we're told, the bigger the piece of news. We're told someone doesn't like cucumbers. Okay, I'm not cooking them for a while. I, I don't really care. I'm probably not going to check that out. We hear someone got a job. Well, I, I want to congratulate them, but I'm not going to call their employer. Hey, did you just hire this person? No, I'm going to just go and congratulate them. And if I was wrong, if the news was wrong, I, I will just take that slight bit of embarrassment. My life is full of slight embarrassments. What's one more on the pile? We hear of a loss in someone's life. That's going to need some tracking down. It's too weighty of a thing to get wrong to just jump in a conversation about that. We hear of someone who claims to come and live a perfect life, to die the death that should have been ours, who claims to rescue this world from brokenness while all being God. I'm going to have a couple questions about that one. And that's what we see is, is going on in this book of Luke. We hear of this man named Theophilus who, who seems to trust in Jesus, who makes these claims, who believe in him, but he needs to know for certain. He needs to have confidence in this. And so he commissions or, or asks or at least is a benefit of a man named Luke going to track all of this down. Now, whereas we know very little about Theophilus, uh, for instance, we know his name is Theophilus. Beyond that, we don't really have too much more. Where we don't know much about him, we know quite a bit about Luke, who is doing the writing of this book. We know he's a Gentile, so non-Jewish. He's a physician. He was a travel companion with Paul during most of his missionary journeys. And Luke writes another book of the Bible that we call Acts, and it, and it works as a, as a bit of a pair with the book of Luke. Whereas the book of Luke tells of Jesus going towards Jerusalem to bring this life-saving good news, the book of Acts shows Jesus' followers leaving Jerusalem to take that good news to the ends of the world. And Luke, at some point in the book of Acts, goes from just being the mere author to being a participant as well. The language shifts at one point. Instead of going from sentences where like, Paul did this thing, it becomes we did this thing. He is part of the work that Jesus is doing as well. And since we're gonna be spending uh, quite a bit of time in the book of Luke through Easter, in fact, it, it felt really uh, important for us to start off by looking at what is going on in this book? Why is it written? 
So from the very beginning, we want to take this time to look at the what and the why of the book of Luke. What is it exactly, and why was it written? And fortunately, we don't have to go too far to figure out some of the answers to those questions. In the first four verses of this book, we hear many of those given to us. And so let me reread for us Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Right, so this is a very formal uh, first four verses, and it's kind of hard to track at times the flow of what's going on. If nothing else, it starts with the word in as much, which is an excellent word. And so maybe you're just distra distracted by how great of a word that is that you missed what's going on in these next four verses. And so I, I just want to pull out a couple words and phrases from this as we're looking at the what and the why of the book of Luke. So what is it that Luke writes here? Well, he tells us in verse 1 that it is a narrative, is a collection of the stories of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he has taught. So the book of Luke is a telling of the story of Jesus. But more than that, uh, verse 1 is a narrative of the things that have been accomplished. So I, I get two meanings from this phrase, the things that have been accomplished. So first of all, that they have been done, they have been completed, that these are things that have actually existed and been done in history. They are things that have been accomplished. But accomplished also carries with it a sense of purpose, that when something is accomplished, it's not just that something is done, but something is fulfilled, a goal is completed. Something purposeful has been done. Uh, think about it like this. Uh, if you are running a race, there is a set course for you, uh, a set uh, start and end point. There is perhaps a time frame that you're trying to beat. And as you are completing this race, you're not at the end of it wondering, did I actually do it? Did I do it right? There was a big old sign that said finish that you had to cross to get to the end of it. You are accomplishing something. There is a set purpose and goal that you are fulfilling. Now, on the other hand, if you just went outside and with no course, with no time, with, with no goal, not even for the sake of fitness, you're just going outside and running around, well, you're not really accomplishing anything. And as someone like myself, who would only really be running if I found myself in a horror movie, uh, when I hear of people who are doing a race or trying to beat a time, I can get it a little bit. But if you're so purposeless with your running, man, what is it that you're accomplishing? And the same thing here with Jesus. He isn't just doing these events. These aren't just things that have occurred. The book of Luke is not telling us a bunch of cool things that Jesus did. It is, it is showing that Jesus has come and accomplished something. He fulfilled a purpose that by coming and we see these stories of who he is and what he's done and what he's taught, it's showing us that he is fulfilling the very purposes of God, a narrative of the things that have been accomplished real events in history that really fulfill God's purposes. 
we see as well that Luke says that this is, uh, he shows us his sources, that these are things that come from these eyewitnesses and ministers, and they've delivered them to us. So uh, Luke is compiling these stories, this narrative, from those who were there firsthand, those who actually experienced this. And, and you see that, I think, in his writing. You get to moments to where uh, the only place that this story could from, from, come from, or in, in fact, some of these internal monologues that happen, well, we can only hear of these things from the eyewitnesses, those who were actually there. And then finally, he says that this, uh, his writing comes from following it closely, writing an orderly account. It shows the rigor and the work that he puts into compiling this story, this narrative. And again, I think this shows up in his writing as well. You come across very specific times and dates and names of peoples and places showing all of his work, showing all of the care he put into writing this story. And so Theophilus has these questions about Jesus. He is trusting him, he's believing him, but he's looking for certainty. And so Luke compiles this orderly and, and meticulously put together story that is researched and deliberate, that is purposeful and shows the events that actually occurred within history. And he does all of this. He tells this story of Jesus so that his readers can see this work, can see this Jesus and confront him and come face to face with him. So that's the what, that's the what it is, this orderly narrative that shows the, actually, uh, the actual Jesus actually fulfilling the purposes of God. But why is it written? Why is he written this? And again, we see some of this in verse four. He writes to Theophilus and indeed all of his later uh, audience, all of his later readers, which would include you and me, so that there may be certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So you can have certainty about this Jesus, confidence in what you have heard is true, confidence in who he is, to have trust and faith in him. So he writes all of this, he, he tells this orderly narrative of the actual Jesus actually fulfilling the work of God so that we can come face to face with Jesus, so that we can put our faith and trust in him. Faith ends up being, I think, one of the most misunderstood parts of the Christian life. When you hear people talk about their faith, sometimes it, it, it sounds like this fuzzy, almost mystical feeling, that, that it's actually it's this trust that happens uh, even though things are, uh, all the evidence is contrary to it. It's trying really, really hard to only think about God. And, and so much of this, we can understand where, where that mindset comes from. You and I are not the eyewitnesses that Luke talks about here. We are trusting and following a Jesus that we've never seen. That, that so much of the Christian life is denying ourselves, denying the culture around us, and not following what, what others around us are doing. And it's a trust in a future that we can't fully see. In fact, we can't fully conceptualize. And yet it's not a, a baseless thing. Faith is something rooted in history, 
rooted in actuality, rooted in what has been accomplished, what has been done. It's rooted in fact. Do you see the flow of the argument in these first four verses? How does Theophilus, how do all of us have certainty, have confidence in what we have been told to know that this is true? Well, it's by going to this orderly, researched, eyewitness-based telling, this narrative of the actual Jesus and what he has actually accomplished. How do we have greater certainty? Well, it's turning to what has been done, turning to the the factual, uh, eyewitness-based account of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's taught. How do we grow in confidence? Well, we turn and look at the actual Jesus. And there's so much in our society, in our culture, in our life that we don't have confidence in. We have leaders that let us down. We have an economy that tanks. We, we have people who, who betray us or turn against us. And this impacts so much of what we do. It impacts our interaction with other people. It's different if we're lacking in confidence. It impacts what we plan for, how we plan. It impacts our decision-making entirely. And so let me spin this a little bit more positively. What do our lives look like if we are completely confident in Jesus? We see it in the lives of the disciples who go from doubting him, who, who uh, turn against him, and yet when they are confronted with the actual risen Jesus, when they see what he has accomplished, it completely changes their lives. We see it sometimes with brand new Christians who have this boldness, this trust, this desire to follow Jesus entirely. But for most of us, knowingly or unknowingly, we don't quite see that in our lives. We have questions, we have doubts, which are are totally fine, but what does it look like to have complete confidence in Jesus and to have that permeate throughout my entire life? For me to be a husband to my wife as someone who is confident in Jesus. For you to parent your child as someone who is confident in Jesus. To go to school as someone who is confident in Jesus. To have every aspect of my life that is, that is shaped and conformed by the truth that Jesus has come, what he has accomplished, what he has taught, who he is. Well, that is one of the reasons why Luke wrote this so that we can have confidence, so that we can have trust, so that we can grow in faith. Another way to put this, why did Luke write this? Luke wrote so that we may know, so that we may know to grow in confidence, to grow in understanding, to grow in certainty. Luke writes so that we may know. Another reason why Luke writes, I think, is so that we may grow. Luke writes so that we may know. Luke writes so that we may grow. And we see this in uh, a passage that I read for us last week. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom 
and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we jumped forward quite a bit to the end of chapter two from the very beginning of chapter one, and we miss out on the birth of Jesus, the announcement of the birth of Jesus even before that, and a few moments of the child Jesus. But before he starts his ministry, we have this, this verse that says he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. And this verse is so incredible. Jesus, who is God, who is perfect in every way, who came to seek and save the lost, he did so be, by becoming like us in every way. And so Jesus develops. He does so mentally, physically, and spiritually. He develops as we do as well. And uh, along the way, it says that he grew in favor with God and man. Then never did he cut out one in pursuit of the other. Now, certainly, as Jesus is coming to fulfill the purposes of God, uh, if he's at a crossroad, do I obey God or obey man? Like, it's quite clear that Jesus chose to obey God, and we see that he does come in conflict, in conflict with other people. But that's quite different than seeking to not be favor, in favor with God or with man. That's different than, than feeling that pursuing to following God means a cutting down or a cutting off of other people. It's different than, than thinking that following God means that we can neglect to care for our fellow man, fellow woman. And, and so we see this verse as an incredible example for us to mimic as people who are growing in confidence of Jesus, our lives are one that are doing this exact same thing. We are too are developing physically, mentally, and spiritually. We too are seeking to grow in favor with both God and with man. We are called to grow. And Luke shows us what this looks like because if we are following Jesus and yet we look the same, nothing about us different. If we are static, well, can we say that we're following if we're not moving in any way? So Luke writes so that we may grow, that we may mimic in following Jesus in this way. So Luke writes so that we may know, Luke writes so that we may grow, and Luke writes so that we can tell the world about Jesus. Now, I think I just offended every single person in here uh, with my lack of rhyming. We had no, we had grow. Couldn't I have found some other O-W, a word to use right there? Like show, wouldn't show work pretty nicely? I mean, it could be. It's not an O-W, that's an E-W. But, but show could work if it's about telling people about Jesus. Um, it, it's... Um, if we're telling people about Jesus, it could work as the word show, but here's the thing. All of these words that are being suggested that I'm not asking for, by the way, <coughs> uh, all of these could possibly work if we're willing to compromise and not go with something that actually contains the idea. And I get it, I get it. I may be going against everything that I said in favor of both God and man. I think I'm losing the favor of man right now, so I'm just gonna <laughs> trust that I'm maintaining this favor with God. Because it is such an important idea. The, the, the purpose of Luke is so that we can tell the world about Jesus. 
And and to get here, we've been following some key passages in these first two chapters. We see Luke's purpose of writing, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We see uh, the example that Jesus gives us, chapter 2, verse 52. And then we hear of the very purpose as to why Jesus came as well in chapter 2, verse 10. Let me read that for us. Luke 2.10 says this. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And this is the purpose of Jesus coming, that he comes bringing good news. When we use the word gospel here, gospel just means this good news, what it is that Jesus is doing. His life, his perfected life, his death, his resurrection, going to the cross, dying the death that was to be ours so that we can have life and joy and peace in him. That is why Jesus has come. He has come bringing this good news. And it doesn't just stop there. The the recipients of this good news are told to us as well. It is good news for all the people. So this isn't just offered to a certain nation. It's not just on offer to certain individuals at a certain time or a certain place. It's not just for people who have authority or power or fame or wealth or, or any of that. This is good news for all the people. And we see that in this giving of this verse. Who are those who get to receive this incredible promise? Who are those who are the initial recipients of chapter 2, verse 10? Well, it's shepherds. This angel goes to deliver this good news. God has entered into humanity to bring hope and joy and peace and life, and shepherds are the ones who are told that. In the society, these were uh, considered to be outsiders, dirty, smelly, oftentimes criminals. These were not the people that you would expect to hear this good news. But this is a particular focus of the book of Luke. What is meant by all people? And it's oftentimes shocking to us of who is included in this good news, in this gospel. Mary, the the mother of Jesus, uh, right before our passage, sings this incredible song, and and she says this in uh, chapter 1, verse 52, he, this is God, has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. And you see, time and time again, those exact words coming true throughout the book of Luke. You even see it in those who are the participants of the birth of Jesus. Think, if you know the story of of the characters that we come across, there's an aged, childless couple. There's a young virgin who describes herself as being part of a humble estate. There's the lowly shepherds that we've talked about. There's an elderly widow. All all people that we may not look as being outcasts, but all of those traits that are given to these individuals, these, these things that they've gone through in their life, they would have been seen differently by this culture. And yet they're the very people that God uses to bring the story of this good news to all the people. Because this is the incredible part of this gospel, that you don't need to be perfect 
to be perfect in order to receive it. You don't have to be all put together. You, you don't have to be able to hide your flaws. You don't have to be really good at hiding behind a mask. It is for people and their quirks and their moods and their pasts and their imperfection and their sense of hopelessness and restlessness and despair and anxiety and despondency. If you fit any of that criterion, well, good. I'm so happy to know that I'm not alone. But more important than that, then this is good news that is meant for you, that Jesus has come He has accomplished all of these things. He has done all of this so that we can have hope in him. But it is good news as well that is uncontainable. That as we come in contact with other people, that this is good news that's meant for them. They are the intended audience. They would fit into the criteria of being all people. So as we come in contact with people, as we are shaped by him, as we grow in confidence in him, as we are growing more in his likeness, that we go and we tell the world about this Jesus. We sit here thousands of years removed from Luke writing this gospel in a place, in a society, in a culture that he could not possibly have fathomed or predicted and yet we are brought together by the same good news. We are brought together by people telling us of this good news, and we are part of the hope of wanting the world, every person, to know and trust in this Jesus. As we look at this gospel that's written here, that we are all people who continue to know and will know and need to know more of who this Jesus is. And as we do so, as we see him, it helps us to grow more and more in his likeness, following his example. And as we do so, this gospel that has so shaped us is uncontainable as we tell this world about Jesus. I am so excited about this series, and I, and I hope you are as well. And, and I say that, the exciting part, because now I'm going to turn things a little bit. I'm going to give you homework. Hopefully, you can be excited about the homework as well. Because if you look at the book of Luke, you may notice it's a little bit longer than some of the books that we've been doing as of late. Um, and so we're going to do things a, a little bit differently than how we as a campus have done a sermon series, but how Calvary has done plenty of times before. Normally, we'll go passage by passage, idea by idea, but uh, we, I, it doesn't seem like we might be able to do that because just the mere fact of me saying we're in this book up and through Easter may have caused panic and concerns amongst some of you. And so we're not going to neglect what's in Scripture. We never want to do that, but it is going to require some participation on your part. Each week we will have a chapter, or we might split up a couple of them, a a part of a chapter, that we will not be able to completely cover on a Sunday. And so during the week, we're asking you all to be reading with us. So to be reading that chapter, to, to be looking at it throughout the week, to be studying the entire chapter as a life group with people in your life. But when we come here, when we gather on a Sunday, we'll be preaching through a section of that chapter. And so your homework for this upcoming week is Luke chapter 3, asking you to be reading Luke chapter 3 with with all of us in here. We'll be reading it together. 
and, and encourage you to find a rhythm of reading it that, that works for you. This could be taking the verses and dividing them up over each day, just, just going a few verses at a time every day, or, or maybe if you have a little bit more time to be reading Luke chapter 3 each day, or if you have less time to be cramming it in as you're walking through the doors at 8.55. Uh, I really don't care. I mean, I care about one of those less than the others, but I, I, the important part is that we are reading this and studying it together and then we will focus on a part that's pressing or that needs to be understood or, or that's uh, most impactful for us as readers of this book. But as we are reading through it, I, I wanna give us a, just a couple things to be thinking through, some, some questions to be asking as we're reading through it. First, um, what does this section that we're in show us uh, about Jesus' interactions with people? How is he treating them? How is he caring for them? What is he saying? What is, what is meant by that? And, and this gives us a picture of how Jesus interacts with us. Second thing is, uh, what, do, what do we see, uh, what I'm calling good news glimpses? How does this help us understand how this truly is good news? Third is, is how does this help us understand more fully what is meant by all people? Is Jesus interacting with someone who is shocking to us or to the original audience? Is he, is he uh, uh, doing something that we might not have thought of or including people that we might not have thought of? And then fourth, how does this help us to follow Jesus as well? Uh, if I could simplify this a little bit, uh, these four things could be done in, in four simple questions. Uh, who is Jesus? What is he doing? Who is he doing it for? And how is that also for us? So who is Jesus? What is he doing? What is he doing it for? Who is he doing it for? And how is that also for us? As we're reading through this, uh, this week, the book of Luke, when whatever speed or consistency we can do so, just ask you to be thinking through these things as we seek to fulfill these purposes that Luke gives us for this gospel, this good news, this book, that he gives to us, that all of us, we are growing, we are, we are seeking to know, to have confidence in this Jesus, to have that shape and transform us to be more and more like him, that we are seeking to grow in his likeness, to be more and more like him, to be in favor of God and man, pursuing what he will have us do while also caring for the people that are in our lives around us and growing in boldness and conviction as we tell the world about Jesus. Or, if it will help you to remember it during this whole series, we are seeking to know, to grow, and to show. Let me pray for us. <laughs> Father, we are so grateful for this gospel that you have given to us, this writing of the book of Luke, but more than that, the truth of what you have accomplished, the good news that you have done. We are so grateful that you have called us to know you, to grow in confidence and certainty concerning you and how that shapes our entire lives. We are so grateful that you have given us a model, an example to follow of the lives that you have for us that are for our joy, for our good, and for your glory. 
And we are grateful that you would use us to bring people close to you. That this gospel, this good news is uncontainable. So as we go, let us, let us be bold in telling others of who you are, of what you have done, and how that has so impacted us. Thank you for this opportunity to grow in knowledge, in understanding, in confidence about your son and what he has accomplished. 